is somewhat frightening. It's not that I haven't preached before, I have. And it's not the size of the congregation. I have actually recited the entire book of James in front of a crowd of 600. And because one young person wanted to make sure that I was doing it right, told me I was word perfect that time. Now, I've been doing public speaking since I was about 16. I guess the reality is I kind of like the limelight. (laughs) But standing here is unnerving. Because you know me, or at least some of you know me. I usually go to first service, so there's probably fewer in this one. But that means those who know me also know my faults, as well as my gifts. There is no such thing as home field advantage in preaching. But you know what? This passage of scripture is so exciting, so encouraging, and so overwhelming, I am equally as anxious to share my discoveries with you. Let's pray. Glorious God in heaven, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you are here now, and I ask that you take every word that I say and jumble it any way you need to and touch each heart here in the way they need to hear it. I pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 to 21, 950 in the Pew Bible. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. I pray that, according to the the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, as you are being rooted and grounded in love. I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. End of sermon. (laughs) Except I already told you I like the limelight, so I'm going to stay here a little while. Last week, Drew talked on the first 13 verses in Ephesians where God revealed through Paul his game plan. The reconciliation, the oneness across all nationalities, the church. That there were to be no more barriers and that the church was to be what he called a demonstration plot But we are supposed to live out this radical equality in Christ for the rest of the world to see. 
And now he prays that his readers will have the means to carry out the game plan. Now, he actually started this prayer in chapter 1. Started with the same phrase, for this reason. He gives his reason. The reason was, for he had heard about their love. He had heard about their faith in Christ Jesus and their love of all the saints. And he just couldn't stop thanking God for them. And then he has a little aside here because he wants to pray something else and he realizes he needs to give them more information before he can finish his prayer. So now he is starting his prayer again. And he starts out, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father. The reason now isn't part of the prayer. The reason is the last 13 verses. He is praying because he understands that it is going to be difficult to show this radical equality. He understands that the church is going to have trouble living out or playing the game plan. And that the coach has got to be actively involved in that game plan. And we, the church, need to listen. Verse 15, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Now, I want you to be careful here because the New Revised Standard Version was trying to be very careful word-for-word translations and not putting other things in. But this Greek word mean does not mean that every family, in other words, Everyone, no matter their religion, no matter their faith, no matter their God, that isn't what he means. This is a patriarchal family, which he again has referred to. God has, Paul has made it clear in all of his letters that the only way to get into this family is through adoption papers in Christ Jesus. So this is when he says God the Father is the patriarch of every family He is talking about the church family. In fact, the New International Version actually um, translated it from his whole family. Just to make sure that we understood what Paul was talking about. And, And I said patriarch, but I just want to open this up. We heard both in the opening and in the confession that God wants to gather us under his wings, which is the matriarch. So however you want to look at the personality of God, patriarch, matriarch, doesn't matter. It's his family, his whole family. And he says that we are scattered all over the whole earth. And some have gone on before us up to heaven. And that is who we draw our name. And my page flipped. (laughs) What does he pray? I pray that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant that you may be strengthened in your inner being with power through his spirit. This verse is loaded. We can camp here for an hour. And I don't have another service afterwards on this one. So you all wanted to stay the hour, right? Okay, okay. I will pick and choose what I'm going to talk about out of this church. And you're stuck with my choices. The first thing I want to point out is what he does not pray. 
He does not pray that they will get a good job, that they have good physical health. He does not pray about their financial situation. And he doesn't even mention a retirement plan. He does pray for their inner being. I bet we could think of a lot of different words for inner being. Soul, heart, personality, psychic. We used to have a class that was taught here. Gosh, it's been a long time now. Um, called Rational Christian Thinking. In fact, some of you are young enough that you probably weren't even alive then. <laughs> but the course had this premise. Here is the events that occur all around us. And here is our emotional responses to them. And every single time we have an emotional response of any kind, whether it's apathy included, that's an emotional response, we are passing it through our inner being, which consists of beliefs or standards that we might have. Let me give you an example. This last week, I went into a store. I was going to run in quick five minutes, in and out, pick up my item, pay for it, get out. I come in, run to the item, and the first thing I see is a locked cabinet. Okay, I find a clerk. The clerk goes over to the cabinet, pulls out this ring of keys, and starts to try them both directions, one at a time. Okay, you can just imagine what's going on at this point. None of them work. So she gets on the intercom. Manager needed for customer assistance. We wait five minutes. And I know it was five minutes because I was watching. <laughs> Manager for customer assistance, she called three times. And finally sent one of the other employees, because she wasn't supposed to leave that cash register area, to go find the manager, who then came. And it wasn't even locked. Pushed a little button and slid open the door. <laughs> now, my love of Christ meter was registering zero <laughs> at this point. Because my inner being was saying, that clerk should have known that, known how to get that cabinet open, or she should have had the key, or that manager should have come right away on the first call. I've been there over a half hour at this point. You know, the five-minute thing was dead and gone. But if in my inner being I had passed it through the love of Christ meter, it would have sounded like this. That poor clerk, she's probably as embarrassed as can be. Or that manager must really be involved in something that's really important and a lot less important than my five-minute trip if the love of Christ meter had been operating. See, that inner being is the command center of our responses. Psychologists actually um, try to do something called adjust the self-talk. 
That's what you heard me going through in that inner being. That's one of the things they do, the things we tell ourselves about situations. They try to change that. Jesus calls it the heart. In Matthew chapter 14, verses 18 and 19, he said, But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart. And this is what defiles. For out of the heart come evil intentions, murder, adultery, fornication, theft, false witness, and slander. This is the inner being. The command center. Gordon MacDonald tells the story in his book, Ordering Your Private World, about a friend of his who was a duty officer on an, a Navy submarine. And he happened to be in charge in the bridge of the ship. And the captain was in his cabin. Well, they were in the Mediterranean Sea and they suddenly got into an area where there were several ships above and the duty officer was having to make sudden jerks in moving the ship to keep out of the way, the submarine out of the way. And the captain, noticing this change, went to the bridge, went to the inner person, went to the command center to find out what was wrong. He walked in and he said to his duty officer, is everything okay? And the duty officer said, yes, sir. And the captain turned around and said, looks okay to me too, and left. He didn't check the control panels. He didn't check the orders being given. He saw a calm bridge where every trained seaman was carrying out the duty officer's commands. The command center. The ability to control the being. Some people who do not have inner strength disintegrate before our eyes because there's nothing inside that part. But why does Paul pray for strength in the inner being? What is the purpose of strength? Well, the purpose of the strength is because of pressure. Think for a minute about how when you're in an airplane and um, sometimes if you've ever been in an airplane and you're landing and the ears start to hurt, maybe some of you are either lucky never to be on an airplane or never had that happen, but you've certainly heard of it. That's because, of course, the air pressure on the outside is greater than the pressure on the inside. And it's usually because the air canal is blocked because of a stuffy nose or a cold or something like that. And so we chew gum or open our jaw trying to get the air pressure to equalize. But if that air canal is perfectly open, we don't even notice the pressure change. It is the same way with inner strength in our command center. If we are strong on the inner side when the outer pressures are coming in, we don't notice them. We're calm. Perfectly calm. Paul says 
that he may strengthen you with power. What kind of power? You know, he tells us in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, that power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. He is strengthening with resurrection power. Wow. Verse 17. And that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith as you are being rooted and grounded in love. Now, the first thing I want to say, so you don't read into this verse something that's not there. If you have believed in your heart and confessed Jesus as the Christ, he is in your heart. This is not a verse that says once you get this power, then you have Christ. In fact, there's a little Greek word, henna, that connects phrases that says this happens, then this happens. Henna is not there. But there was just no way in the English to state this without leaving that impression. It goes immediately from inner person to the infinitive to dwell. So what is Paul trying to say? Paul only uses this Greek word two other times in all of his letters. So all the other Christ-indwelling phrases that you read is not the same Greek word. Here's the word. that he, Here's the other two places. They're in Colossians 1.19. For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And the second one is also in Colossians. For in him, again Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he only uses this same word when he's talking about God in Christ. So what Paul is saying here is that when we are strengthened in the inner being with resurrection power... Christ can dwell in us in the same way that God dwelled in Christ. And how is that? By being rooted and grounded in love. That's where we want to dig our roots into the love of God, the love of Christ. Verse 18, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. The first time I read that in preparation, I immediately thought of a hundred-year-old hymn called The Love of God. But the third verse of the third word, the third verse, words, Go like this. Could we with ink the ocean fill? 
And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man or person, it was 100 years old, a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Grasp your mind around that. Try to envision that much ink. I had a friend this week when I was talking to her about this hymn. She goes, oh yeah, that, that hymn with all the ink. <laughs> Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. This is just hard to put our mind around when he's writing this. Now, interestingly enough, Frederick Lehman did not pen these words. Fifty years before he wrote the hymn, he had heard these words quoted at a camp tent meeting, and the evangelist had told the congregation that these were found written on the wall of an insane asylum when a man passed away and they carried him out and came in and found him here. So he treasured them up for 50 years. And then he decided to research, find out a little bit more about him. And what he actually found out was that it was a poem, a Jewish poem written by Rabbi Meir in 1050. Written originally in Aramaic in Worms, Germany. So this person who was there knew that must have known the poem and translated it into English. Knowing that verse, he was later in life, um, had to take a job of really hard labor. So they took rest breaks. And one time during his rest break, he was just overcome with these words. And he sat down on a lemon crate box, leaned up against a wall, found a scrap of paper on the ground and a stub of pencil, and penned the other two verses in the chorus and the tune which his daughter arranged for him. And it was published in 1919. There's just something significant to me that this hymn is really the collaboration of a Jew and a Gentile based upon what we talked about last week. That the two coming together brought a clearer understanding of the love of God. And to try to grasp the love of God written across the skies. I'm going to borrow Drew's word because I think it's great. It is ginormous. Paul goes on to say, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Well, no wonder we can't understand it. It surpasses our knowledge. So that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. (laughs) The henna is in this verse. When you are filled with the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, you will also be filled with the fullness of God. 
Paul is saying here that we can know the unknowable and contain the uncontainable. Okay, Paul must have really lost it because that's just, if, if we know it, then it's no longer unknowable. And if we contain it, then it's no longer uncontainable. So what is the answer? His closing. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than all we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. It is because... God can do more than we can ask or imagine. You know, we sometimes think some people have really good imaginations. We see it reflected in things like Star Trek and Star Wars and, you know, going out there into the universe and some of the different um, video games and the monsters that can be created out of the imagination are overwhelming. But... Paul believes God can help us know the unknowable and contain the uncontainable. We need to listen to our coach. What is our part? Our part was back in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. One thing. That's all we got to do. Listen to the coach and believe in him. His part is to strengthen us with resurrection power in our inner being so that we can withstand all the pressures around. We just have to believe in our coach to have this happen. I'm going to close here with a video. Some of you may have watched this when it originally happened. But this video shows what I believe to be the impact on the inner person when there is a father's love. In fact, this son showed so much courage and strength on the inside that 65,000 fans gave him a standing ovation. He heard a noise so loud that he thought he had been shot. It was his hamstring breaking. As you watch this, I want you to, to challenge you if the love of an earthly father can give a young man this much courage and inner strength, how much more so can a heavenly father? Listen to your coach. He says, I love you.